Good morning. It's June 11th, 2021. And I'm out for my walk. And I want to talk for a few minutes on this, the Fight to Vote podcast. I want to talk for a few minutes about um, recognizing where we stand in the arc of the Fight to Vote and what I'm going to call kind of perspective and uh, vantage point. Today is June 11th, um, and in American history, June 11th, 1963, is a profound day in the fight for racial justice and um, a full democracy. And I I think it's useful for us to kind of uh, reflect for a moment on that day in 1963, and then this day in 2021. Um, we are making what we're calling a push for the people in common power for uh, trying to push for passage and support of S1, the For the People Act, and HR4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Both of those are going to be congressional bills. One has already passed the U.S. House, S1 has. Um, but HR4 has not been introduced yet. It will be introduced in um, probably after Labor Day. But these are two bills that we're going to work to pass. And the road, I mean, the uh, climb the climb uphill to pass these is significant. But that's where perspective and vantage point comes in. On June 11th, 1963, uh, three historically notable things occurred. Um, one, In Alabama, the governor, George Wallace, had been uh, making very clear for some months that if the University of Alabama was forced to integrate its student class to allow black Americans into the vote, into the class, that he was going to block it, that he would prevent it. And he knew that he could not prevent it long term legally because of the Supreme Court's decision in Brown v. Board of Education nine years earlier, but he intended to to block it um, and to make a political stand. So he engineered this showdown with the federal government on the University of Alabama campus in the uh, the entrance, the door entrance to student registration. And this became the, the famous kind of stand in the schoolhouse door. Uh, the national media were there. Wallace uh, said, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to allow this. The federal government said, you are going to allow it. The National Guard was with them, and Wallace stepped aside. But his kind of stand for refusing racial integration was a political moment that benefited him, catapulted him further into the national spotlight and also was, you know, one more of the so many kind of bricks in the wall um, against, against kind of a more just and inclusive democracy that had to be overcome. That happened in, in late morning in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The... Uh, 
president of the United States is number two. The president of the United States, John Kennedy, uh, because Wallace's action was well planned um, and was actually negotiated between the between Wallace's office and the Attorney General of the United States, they knew exactly how it was going to go. It was scripted. It was planned. Um, because that was all understood, Kennedy had planned to give an address that evening to the country about civil rights, a national address on television. Kennedy had ran and run or ran, <laughs> don't know which what verb it is, in 1960, promising to, to with the stroke of a pen, um, to eliminate racial uh, discrimination in housing. He had not done that. Um, he had not signed such a bill or pursued it. In fact, he had not spoken publicly in any address about civil rights since taking the White House. It had been a profound disappointment for, for people f fighting for racial inclusion. Um, I can't, it's hard to imagine, like, like never, he didn't talk about it. And, you know, to think about today and like Joe Biden getting into office and never giving a, a public comment about, about the issues of voting rights, it would be devastating to us. That isn't happening. Joe Biden is speaking about it. In fact, today, his Department of Justice Attorney General Merrick Garland is going to be giving and might be doing it right now an address on how the Department of Justice is going to work to ensure fair or fairer redistricting that will be drawn this fall in state legislatures. So it's not, we're not at the same place. We're not close. But in 1960, John Kennedy gave an address to the country. He had planned it, as I said, and it was going to focus on Wallace and he was going to use that as a as a kind of stepping off point for the, for the address. He gave that address and in the last few minutes of that address, he spoke with a, a passion, a commitment um, to civil rights that we had never heard from a president of the United States. He called it a moral issue. Um, as old as the scriptures, and he said, it's not a Northern problem. It's not a Southern problem. It's something we need to deal with in this country. And he talked, he, he said that the responsibility for all of us was to make this transition happen and peacefully. It was an address that we'd never heard from a president and he delivered it. And it set the country on a path that we had never been on previously. He had put the voice of the most powerful person in the free world on the side of racial justice. Not near enough, but not nothing for sure. That was number two on that day. Number three, people all over the country watched that address, as we can imagine. And in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, there was a watch gathering of some civil rights workers and leaders. One of them was Medgar Evers. Medgar Evers um, had been the first field secretary for the NAACP in Mississippi 
in the 1950s. He had sought to integrate the University of Mississippi after Brown v. Board of Education had been refused, had gone on to work um, for the NAACP and constantly put his life on the line. Um, Evers and his wife, Merle Evers, uh, lived in a part of Jackson um, that was a, a, you know, a middle class to upper middle class black neighborhood. And in order to maintain safety for the family, they had no front door built on their house. You would come in through the carport on the side and you would pull the car into the carport and you would slide out of the passenger side of the car straight into two steps straight into the the side door that's the way the family lived to be safe this evening medgar evers was out watching viewing president kennedy's address and came home and he had a series i mean a collection of shirts in his car that said jim crow must go and there was a car in the carport. I think maybe there was someone visiting, not sure who it was. But so he parked behind the carport, the car in the carport, and got out of the car, walked around the back in the tr to get in the trunk, got the shirts out of the trunk. And at that moment, he was shot. He was a shot. He was shot by a Ku Klux Klan member, Byron D. LeBeckwith, who was standing across the street in uh, an open kind of field area. And De La Beck was shot him. And because it took so very long for Evers to get medical care in the Jackson hospitals, because they had to wait, they refused to treat him until a black doctor arrived. Evers died. He was assassinated this day. There were two other related assassinations tied to Evers' death that evening one in Louisiana and one over in Selma, Alabama. And those did not, were not achieved, including one with a gentleman, Dr. Bernard Lafayette Jr., who has been a tremendous kind of inspiration and mentor to me. Um, on that day then, those three things happened. Wallace is in the door, in the schoolhouse door, stepping aside, President Kennedy giving his address, Medgar Evers assassinated. It's just, it's too much really for the heart to handle. It's hard to comprehend. Um, and I just, it's a, it's, it's a day in American reality that we must never forget. Today is January, I'm sorry, June 11th, 2021. And we have lots of struggles ahead of us and that we're in around racial justice and voting justice, our focus at common power. To work to to pass a couple bills in the U.S. Congress. That's what I talk about on these podcasts, or part of what I talk about.
talk about on these podcasts. Um, and we are going to push hard in the next several weeks to, to make as much progress as we can. We will enter into this work knowing that no matter what the short-term victories or not are, that we're, we stand in a longer arc of human history and we will do our part. We will show up. We will fight for the right to vote. So last night we launched in Common Power the advocacy push for the people. And we're going to push for the rest of June for S1, formerly HR1, the For the People Act. It's going to be brought to the, to the, to the U.S. Senate for debate in probably two weeks. Today, as I said, the Attorney General is giving an address on legislative redistricting and voting rights. The President of the United States will be speaking increasingly on this. The Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, is leading this work for the administration. She'll be meeting next week with members of the Texas House Democrats who walked out to block voter suppression. Uh, a vote, a horrible voter suppression bill in the Texas House on Memorial Day weekend Sunday. So the attention is going to be riveted on this debate in the U.S. Senate. And we are going to, we are starting tomorrow with the phone banks, four phone banks a week. Um, we're going to be doing two things. We're going to be calling um, voters in key states to get them to contact their U.S. senators to push for this bill. And second, we have direct to senator contacts where we have a list of senators with their phone numbers and their Twitter handles. And we ask people to call them or to tweet at them. And we have scripts to do that. As part of this, um, people are, are joining or further engaging with the advocacy group at CP um, and we need your work. We are not gonna push for this forever though because our primary work at CP is voter registration and voter mobilization. And we are beginning to turn our attention again to that in a full force. Um, we are gonna be traveling to Virginia in three months to do work there for some very important elections. We are doing work in Georgia right now and we did work in Texas for a mayoral race. That is a, the heartbeat of CP. We have these great teams that lead that work. And so that's our primary endeavor. But the advocacy work is work that we do at, at distinct moments when it's time for us to engage. And in 2020, it was time for us to engage to fight for increased access to voting during COVID and we worked in 27 states, contacting governors, secretary of states, and the US senators, pushing for them to expand voting. And in 23 out of those 27 states, they did. Earlier this year, we've worked to block horrible voter suppression bills, as you know, and we worked specifically in Georgia, Arizona, and Texas. And we had successes in all three. Um, you know, not, not as great as you could hope in the first two, but certainly meaningful. Um, and then in the third, we, for at least the time being, helped the Texas Democrats to be united 
to block their terrible bill. So in 2020 and the first half of 2021, our advocacy work has yielded outcomes that we would hope for, that we could, that we tried for, that we gave our effort for. We now have the second phase of our push for the people this year with the push for S1. Again, phone banking in the key states and asking uh, voters to contact their senators and sending direct to senator contacts. There's a video on our advocacy page from last night from the, uh, the kickoff. And it's a solid, it's an hour long, but the first half hour is the overview of the work. I really encourage you to take a look at that and to join the phone banks and to do the Senator contacts. We do this knowing that it's highly likely that this bill is not gonna pass. In fact, it may not even be brought up for debate. It may not have enough Senator support to be introduced into the conversation. You have to have a pre-vote to even begin the debate. That may not happen. And Joe Manchin in West Virginia or Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, or even a Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire or a Jackie Rosen in Nevada or a Diane Feinstein in California might not vote to bring it up for debate. Or if they do, they might not vote to move it uh, forward past the filibuster. We know that the Republicans aren't gonna let it get past the filibuster. And that's gonna lead to a set of serious significant showdowns in the US Senate about policies um, and how legislation does occur or doesn't occur. That's all important and we wanna push. We wanna help ratchet up the pressure. That's what we'll do. We will not, we will not allow what occurs there and any maneuver by any particular Senator to determine how we think or feel or work. We won't. We will be smart in how we work, but we will know that we are part of a longer arc in this push. And that whether it's June 11th, 1963, or June 11th, 2021, it's important for us to show up, to push for justice, to make it clear that we're here. And then at the end of the day, to come back in our next effort. And what our next effort's gonna be is it's gonna be the get out the vote work because if we can win a couple more Senate seats in 2022 and hold the US House, then the one or two senators who might block this bill now will not have the ability to do that then. Those are tall endeavors to hold the House and to win a couple more seats in the Senate, but they are doable. We can do this. So whatever happens in the next month, is just what happens now in the next month. It is neither the beginning nor the end of the story. All right, that's perspective and vantage point. We will show up, we will do work, we will understand that we are a step in this arc. We are neither the beginning nor the end, and we have next steps if this, these don't hit the outcomes we wish. All right, so let's push for the people. Let's move on, let's do it. Thanks everybody. Onward together, further together.